love getting prices that are lower than low on food that's fresher than fresh? Then shop at Kroger. We give you more ways to save on the fresh you love with tools like the Kroger app, where you can find personalized coupons on top of weekly sales, giving you prices that are lower than the everyday low. Kroger, fresh for everyone. And now you'll find more ways to save on your favorites. When you download digital coupons, you can use up to five times in one transaction. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Oh. Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. The X-Zone radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the X-Zone radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. All hit radio. Welcome to the X Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. I'm the swans, what you think I've seen? Something strange, you know. Sasquatch sitting on the side of his knee and he was talking to Moxie Joe. Where the party they gonna have? Out in the St. John's Walls. Sasquatch doing his brand new dance and he called it the Bigfoot Stone. And welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My guest this hour is Richard Freeman, and he is a cryptozoologist, author, zoological journalist, and web TV presenter. Uh, he is also zoological director for the Center for Fortean Zoology and co-edits both uh, the journal Animals and Men and several editions of the annual CFZ yearbook. Richard Freeman has written, co-written, or edited a number of books and contributed widely to both Fortean and zoological magazines, as well as other newspapers and periodicals, including Fortean Times and the Paranormal Magazine. He has also lectured across the United Kingdom at such events as Fortean Times Unconvention, The Weird Weekend, uh, and at museums such as the Natural History Museum, the Grant Museum of Natural History, and the Last Tuesday Society. An early obsession with the classic science fiction series Doctor Who had sparked an interest in all things weird. Joining me now from the United Kingdom is Richard Freeman. Richard, welcome back to the Exxon. Always great having you with us. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me, Rob. Now, Richard, you're getting ready to go on a very special expedition. Can you share a little bit with us before we have to go to our commercial break in three minutes? Well, I, I was on an expedition last year. Oh, you were on the expedition. I see, right. 
Last year, uh, this year's one is a return to Sumatra in search of the Orang Tendek in September. Mm-hmm. Last year's was a search for the, the Yeti in uh, the mountains of Meghalaya in northern India. Did you have any success in finding Yeti? We found its tracks, and we talked to an awful lot of witnesses, and we brought back some hair. Really? Uh, what, mm-hmm. has the, what has the DNA or with the scientific investigation of the hair proved so far? Well, it, it's still currently under analysis, the hair. Uh, we also brought back a part of a um, tibia, part of a leg bone from a remote cave. Uh, that looks as if it's going to turn out to be human at the minute. Mm. Uh, but uh, the year before, when we were in Sumatra looking for the Orang Tendek, which may be a close relative of the Yeti, the hair we brought back from there, um, Dr. Lars Thomas of the University of Copenhagen has come to the conclusion after looking at it that it's uh, from an unknown primate. Richard, the, the footprint that you found, can you describe it? How big was it? And uh, according to the, the research and measurements you did, how big was the creature that left this footprint? Well, the one we found, well, it wasn't from an adult. It was large, but it wasn't gigantic. It was about 12 inches long, so mm-hmm. longer than the average human foot. Um, it was shaped like a human foot, but the toes at the front were more regular. You had a big toe and then the four smaller toes that they didn't slope away in the angle that a human foot does. They were much, they were much closer together. Uh, it had a much broader ankle, suggesting a, a weight-bearing, uh, a, a sort of a, a weight-bearing right. um, structure. And it went very deep into damp sand. Now, I, I weighed 16 stone. I'm a big lad. And my footprints didn't go anything like as deep as this creature's did. This one went two or three inches deep. So it was very big and very heavy and had human-like feet. So what size would you estimate this creature to be, Richard? With a foot like that, approaching seven feet. Wow. So it's large, but it, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not an adult. It wasn't an, ad, uh, an adult. How do you know it wasn't an adult? Because the other tracks that have been found in the area by researchers such as mm-hmm. Diplomaric and his colleagues, they've been much bigger, over 18 inches, 18 to 20 inches long. And the reports of adult creatures, the, the size that they say again and again and again is mm-hmm. 10 feet. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Richard, stand by. You and I have to take a commercial break. We'll be right back. XO Nation. Richard Freeman is our very special guest of this hour, and we're talking about Yeti. We're talking about all things weird, www.cfz.org.uk, and that's the Center for Fortean Zoology. And Richard Freeman and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break in two minutes as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. 
Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. I'm William S. Peckham. If you enjoy a good mystery with a touch of the paranormal, then you'll love my novel, From Out of the Woodwork. It's the story of a young Toronto contractor, Sean Kennedy, who buys derelict homes, guts them, and turns them into multifamily dwellings, slums just waiting to happen. When Sean buys 29 Livery Lane, the house fights back. Former owners unexpectedly come out of the woodwork as he starts the destruction. The apparitions come to him when he touches old books, reads hidden letters, rummages through old boxes, finds a locket or reads a discovered manuscript of a murder mystery. From out of the woodwork will take you from 1899 to the horror of the World Trade Center, September 11, 2001. Check out From Out of the Woodwork on my website, www.williamspeckham.com. Exonation, uh, Richard Freeman is my special guest. His website is www.cfz.org.uk, and that's the website for the Center for Fortean Zoology. Um, the hair that you found, Richard, can you describe it? Has it does it resemble any other type of hair that you have seen as a zoologist? Well. The hair, well, it was actually given to us by um, another researcher called Dipu Marek, uh, who I mentioned before, and he mm-hmm. had found it at a place called Balpakram, which is a great gorge. We visited this, this place, and it's like this huge gorge, um, hundreds upon hundreds of feet deep and miles wide, miles long, covered in rainforest, and nobody goes down there. Um, he, he found it in, in that area, and he gave it to us to take back to analyse. I thought it more closely re- resembled a type of antelope called a goral, than uh, the Yeti, but mm-hmm. we're, we're, ta- we're analysing it just in case. Um, the same team that identified the Orang Pendek hair uh, in Copenhagen are, are working on it at, at the minute. But the, the weird thing is, when you go out looking for one creature, you often turn up evidence of another that you had no idea about. Mm. Uh, we were interviewing one man whose grandfather had been a very great hunter, and he got a, a lot of trophies, and 
his his grandson was telling us about his grandfather's encounter with uh, the Yeti. And he described it as looking like a, a gargantuan gorilla, but walking upright like a man. And he'd come across this thing in a jungle clearing and been absolutely terrified. The thing was foraging on the floor, uh, sort of bent over looking for food, and he backed away from it. And uh, we were interviewing about that story, but uh, a colleague of mine, Jonathan McGowan, who runs a natural history museum in Dorset in England, um, pointed out some horns that were hanging up on the wall, and they were like the horns of a muntjac. Now, a muntjac is a small deer. It's, it's not very big. There are a number of species around the world. They're, they're, quite, they're quite wee. But these were enormous. They were like a muntjac horns, but they were gigantic, like from a, a giant species of muntjac, far bigger than anything known to science. And we took some scrapings of these to be analysed for DNA, mm-hmm. and uh, two sets of tests have been done on them now. We're waiting on a third, but thus far, it looks like it could be a new species. So we go out looking for one species, and we find evidence of another. Richard, what was the colour of the hair of the uh, Yeti that you were given to have analysed? This, this is dark brown. Dark brown? I, I, I thought that Yetis were supposed to be white. That is one of the biggest fallacies oh. uh, of any cryptid ever. Uh, there has never ever, to my knowledge, been a single individual sighting of a white yeti. There have been sightings of Sasquatch in North America, as occasionally described as being white, but never the yeti. It all comes from a mistranslation of the Sino-Tibetan name for the creature, Metokagni, which means abominable man of the rocks, and it was mistranslated uh, over telegraph to abominable man of the snows, and the idea of this white creature that's roaming around in the snowfields came into being like that. Now, in reality, uh, a, a huge ape would find nothing to eat up there. It'd starve to death very quickly. Uh, all the reports tend to come from lower down in the forested areas, and they're cre- of creatures with dark fur, either black or dark chocolate brown, sometimes reddish coloured, but never ever white. What do we know about Yeti to this to this date? What, what can Yeti... Uh, how, how can we best describe Yeti, and what do we know about his habits, his, his, uh, his mating habits, his social habits? Well, we don't know much about the mating habits, but they mm. seem to be solitary. Uh, they're usually seen alone or in small family groups. Uh, in India, we were told of a family group of two adults and two youngsters that were raiding a pineapple patch and tearing up the farmer's pineapples and eating them. But usually they're seen alone. Um, if you look at yetis across Asia, that's in the Himalayas, Malaya, um, and in India, there, there appears to be three distinct types. There's a very small one that's about four feet tall and walks erect. There is a medium-sized one, about the size of an average man, but much bulkier, mm-hmm. that walks on two legs but can fall on all fours and lope along like an ape. And then there's the gigantic classic yeti, or zute, as it's called, or there's a number of names for it, Mande, Burung, Zute, um, <coughs> Rime, and there are a number of names for this creature over Asia. And that's the classic giant one, that's up to 10 feet tall, and that walks completely erect like a man. It seems to be some sort of huge ape. Uh, it seems to be an omnivore eating both plants and flesh. It may well be a surviving form of a giant Pleistocene ape called Gigantopithecus blackeye, which is known from its teeth and fossil jaws. And the structure of the jaw seems to indicate that this thing would have walked erect, and it was much bigger than a mountain gorilla. What kind of physical evidence do we have 
to substantiate claims that Yeti is real and just not another urban legend? Well, it'd be a rural legend rather up in the mountains and the forest, but uh, we have quite a bit for the Yeti. <coughs> Pardon me. Sure. We, we have hair that was found in central China mm-hmm. that was examined in, by laboratories in the U.S., in China, and in the U.K. They all came to the same conclusion that it was an unknown primate. And the, the actual mineral makeup of the hair was unlike any other species as well. We have alleged Yeti droppings that have a completely unique type of parasitic worm in them. Now, parasitic worms are usually unique to their host. So one type of animal will have this particular type of worm. Mm-hmm. And this worm was unknown, so it's, it's quite a, a good argument to say that its owner, whatever made the stools, was known as well. And most interestingly of all, we did have some Yeti bones once. They were stolen from a alleged mummified Yeti hand that was kept in a um, monastery. And an Irish explorer called Peter Byrne swapped some of them for human hand bones. And they were smuggled to England by none other than Jimmy Stewart, the actor, who was a friend of Byrne's and was on holiday at the time. And they were examined by a number of primatologists, including W.C. Ostman Hill. And he came to the conclusion that the bones came from the hand of some sort of ape that was bigger than a gorilla. But the clincher is no one knows where the bones are now. Hmm. How is it with all of today's gadgets, cell phones and, and all these other high-tech gizmos that are available to us, Nobody has yet taken that all-conclusive photo of, of Yeti. Pardon me. Well, there's several reasons for that. Um, when you're up in the, the Himalayan mountains or the wilds of India, very few people have cameras, even today. It's the same in Sumatra, where I went looking for the Orang Pandek. Mm-hmm. Virtually nobody has a camera. Now, even with things like um, satellite photography and Google Earth and things like that, they can't see through the canopies of jungles and forests where these creatures live. So we're talking about highly intelligent animals, highly intelligent primates, that probably have quite a low population in the first place, living in very, very remote areas. Now, the first time they went out to try and film the snow leopard, for instance, it took them six years to get any film of the snow leopard, and no one has spent anything remotely as long as that trying to film or capture on film a yeti. How come? If you get it, well, the funding's not there. It's it's all down to the folding green stuff, and this could be applied to a hell of a lot of cryptids: um, caddy, the Mongolian death worm, the Shilosine, the Orangpendek, the Almasti, Macalian Bembe, even. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you had the money, you had the resources to have people in the field with decent equipment for months upon months upon months on end, you will get something. But the expeditions thus far have all been <clears throat> poorly funded and they only spend a few weeks in the area because they haven't got the, the time or the money to spend any longer. But it would seem that the scientific community would be jumping and biting at the bit to get this <laughs> this mystery solved. In, in a rational world, it would. Uh, I've thought this for a long time, but there seems to be this there's a terrible, terrible double standard 
in, mm-hmm. in mainstream science. I mean, not everybody. There are people that are coming around now with the discovery of, of the bones of Homo floresiensis and things. Cryptozoology is getting more respectable. More people are, are, are saying, yes, there might be things out there. But there's, there's terrible double standards. For instance, um, theoretical physicists, they can write papers and books on the alleged existence of particles that no one has ever seen. Right. Now, now, if a scientist wants to write a paper or a book on an animal that thousands of people have seen, but no one's ever captured yet, they're looked on as a heretic. Um, a, co- a colleague of mine brought back some hair in the 1990s from Sumatra, from the Orang Pendek, where he'd found some footprints and he found some hair. And the hair was analysed by Professor Hans Brunner, who's the world's leading expert on mammal hair. He was the guy that proved it was a dingo that killed the baby in the famous Australian case. He said his conclusion from looking at this hair is that it's an unknown primate. It's related to the orangutan, but it's not an orangutan. So my colleague and I prepared, uh, and, and, and Hans Brunner prepared this paper. And it was going to be- With prices soaring at the pump, filling up can be stressful. That's why Discover has your back with cash back. Use Discover to earn 5% cash back at gas stations and Target, now through June, on up to $1,500 in purchases when you activate. We know every dollar matters right now, but you can count on us. Get up to $75 cash back this quarter with your Discover It card. Limitations apply. Learn more at discover.com slash rewards. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232 be published in Nature, but the editor of Nature vetoed it, and he said, the reason I'm not letting it in is it's too controversial because it's a big animal. If it had been a new species of mouse, I would have had no problem. Now, what kind of idiotic double standards is that? That's utterly insane. It makes no sense to me. None whatsoever. So what are they afraid of? I don't know. Uh, There used to be in science, used to be in the Victorian days, there was this ethos of discovery. People would go out and look for things. Mm-hmm. And now everybody seems to be stuck in their lecture halls or their laboratories uh, and these ivory towers from whence they say, from whence they say, that can't exist or that can't exist because I would have known about it without ever going to look for it. And, and they keep saying, oh, we're, 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 um, we're not closed-minded, we're just not being given good enough evidence. But when someone brings back some hair... It's mm-hmm. identified by the world's leading hair expert as coming from an unknown primate, and then they won't publish the paper. Then what more do they want? Do they want this thing tap dancing on their desk or something? Sir, uh, certainly, late, certainly sounds like uh, it, Richard. Prof- you and I have to take a commercial prof- break with the news. Please stand oh, by. Sorry. 
Yeah. Richard Freeman's our very special guest, www.cfz.org.uk, and that's the Center for Fertian Zoology. We'll be back after the news. Don't go away. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? We can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com. Have you exhausted all traditional means of healing without success? Are you experiencing communications through ghosts, angels, or even extraterrestrials and want to validate these experiences? Or would you simply like to speak with someone who can help you find your life's purpose? I'm Dr. Joseph Mara, and I'm offering my services to humanity at this time through consultations. These consultations include angel card readings, guided meditations, life coaching, and energy healing. If you desire clarity of what may appear to be unexplainable phenomenon, then contact me through my website at aguidinglight.com to schedule your consultation today. Until then, I offer you love, light, and laughter. You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network, X-Zone Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable. Our toll-free telephone number worldwide is 1-800-610-7035. Our email address, xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www. .exoneradiotv.com
Richard Freeman is my guest this hour. Exonation www.cfz.org.uk, and that's the the website for the Center for Fertian Zoology. You know, I can understand maybe why there would be such a hard time trying to find a yeti in the vastness of the Tibetan mountains, but when it comes to North America, or the Pacific Coast, so many sightings of Bigfoot, and yet no one has has ever got that all-conclusive, hard proof to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Bigfoot is real. That's a, that's a very good point, because there are a lot of people with guns out there yeah. that, are gonna, that shoot at anything that moves, mm-hmm. and the question is, why hasn't anybody brought one in? Which is a very puzzling question. Uh, I would have <coughs> written Sasquatch off if it wasn't for mainly the Patterson film, because I've worked with eight. Mm-hmm. I've worked with the known great apes, right. and the thing in that in that film does not look like a guy in a monkey suit to me. It has it has the presence of an ape. But what happens when you when you talk to somebody, and, and I'm talking um, about Bob um, Bob Hieronymus, who came on this show, who's gone through who's gone through every test possible, and he says, "I was the person in that suit, Gimlin." Perpetra- uh, Patterson and Gimlin perpetrated the entire thing. It's a hoax. You've got somebody admitting to being the to being in that suit, giving details about what happened prior and after, and nobody believes him. Well, it's very easy for someone to come along and say, "Yeah, I was the guy in the suit." Now, that they asked a number of special effects people at the time, including um, the guy. I think his name was John Chambers, who did the Planet of the Apes mm-hmm. um, costumes. He said, could you do anything like that? And he said, there is no way I could do anything remotely as lifelike as that. But that doesn't mean it couldn't be done. It means that he couldn't do it. And if he's such a great special effects uh, person, wouldn't it be uh, hard for his ego to admit that something was better than he could do? Possibly. But the Disney said as well, Disney said, we couldn't do something like that. We couldn't do something like that. I mean... The, uh, uh, whereabouts in, in the equation, if you're going to fake this, this Bigfoot, mm-hmm. you're fake it, whereabouts in the equation do you think, oh, yes, I'll put some hairy breasts on it. I'll make it a female with big breasts because all the known species of apes, the females don't have large breasts. They have flat breasts. Human females have pendulous breasts mm-hmm. because they walk erect. And it's, um, it's a, one of the reasons they have them is to counterbalance the buttock muscles, because women have wide hips for childbirth, they have larger, rounder buttocks. And one of the reasons that human females have pendulous breasts is a counterbalance to these buttock muscles. So a hypothetical upright walking ape, because it's on two legs, will also have these. I don't think a couple of old, um, good old boys like Patterson and Gimlin would have had that kind of knowledge. Okay, but let's, let's, take, a, let's take a look at the big picture. Nobody has taken a photograph since. It was done on a shaky 16-millimeter no, no. camera. Today we have the, the capability of using satellites that could actually read the time off of your wristwatch. Infrared, ultraviolet, multiple-spectrum satellites, and nothing. You don't get rangers, uh, forest rangers, park police, state police... Drivers who drive the, the highways, 
there hasn't been the recovery of a, of a cadaver of a Bigfoot. Something doesn't make sense here. It doesn't, no. And if someone had a shed load of money, and they said, here's, here's some money, you can go and look for Bigfoot, mm-hmm. or you can go and look for the Yeti, I'll be going to look for the Yeti. Yeah. It's, 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 the, the ones in Asia, the, the Yeti, the Almasti, the Orang Pendek, uh, the, <laughs> the Yeren in China, they're the ones I'm much more convinced of. You know, it's, it seems that the North American version of the Yeti was first talked about when the major influx of Chinese came over to the Americas. That's, that's, that's probably a very good point. Yeah. And there are things similar to it that exist in Native American law mm-hmm. in some places. But um, doubtless there are cultural influences on it as well. Yeah. Tell me, what kind of other creatures have you gone for? I understand you also went at one time looking for a giant snake. I went down to South America to the country of Guyana uh, looking for the giant anaconda, and mm-hmm. our guide was this wonderful chap called Damon Corey, who's a hereditary chief of the Eagle Clan Arawak tribe. And he's got this, uh, this brilliant outfit called um, First Nation Vacations, where he takes people really off the beaten track mm-hmm. to look for wildlife and stuff and we went with him to search for the giant anaconda but unfortunately the country was being gripped by the worst drought that anyone could remember even the natives were saying we've never known it that hot and everywhere was so dry the anacondas were all excavating and we couldn't get to these really remote lakes where the gigantic ones were supposed to live so i'd hope to go back someday uh, either to guiana or peru because uh, the giant anaconda is one of the most convincing cryptids. What is, what is so spectacular, or what is the significance of the giant anaconda? Well, the biggest anaconda known to science is around about 27 feet long. Mm-hmm. They're not as long as some of the big pythons, but they're much bulkier and heavier. And the thing about them is they don't lay eggs. The female retains the eggs in the body, they hatch inside, and she gives birth to live young. So they've set up this last link with land, they spend almost all of their time in water, and because they're buoyed up by water, they can get fantastically big, and there are stories of absolutely immense ones. Now, some of the more extreme ones, I think, are tall tales of people seeing a wake being pulled behind the snake and adding to its length. Mm-hmm. But there are some good sightings to suggest that we might get anacondas 50 or maybe even 60 feet long, which is an utterly spectacular creature. Uh, a snake the length of a greyhound bus. And that's like a tube of muscle, a truly formidable animal. Tell me, the Loch Ness Monster, Nessie, we don't hear about her anymore. What happened? Was she discovered? Was she real? Or was this just an urban legend? It depends on what you describe a monster as. I think that there is something in Loch Ness, but it's not a prehistoric monster. It's some sort of large fish. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that fits the bill best, I think, is some, some form of mutant strain of eel a gigantic eel, and I, think, I don't think there's a population. I think it's something that arises within the, populate, the natural population of eels. Now, we know that occasionally uh, some eels become sterile and they won't swim out to the Sargasso Sea to breed. They're called eunuch eels, and they don't sexually develop. They stay in freshwater, getting older and older and bigger and bigger. Nobody knows exactly how big they do get. But back in 2004, some Canadian tourists claimed to have seen an eel in the shallows at Loch Ness that was 24 feet long. And in Lake Windermere in the north of England, there's been a spate of sightings 
and facts of the Falcons go back to the 1950s or something that sounds like an immensely big eel. Loch Morar as well, which has uh, is a lot less famous than Loch Ness, and it doesn't have a, a visitor's centre or or monster T-shirts or plastic monsters on sale. It's just a tiny village with one little hotel. And oftentimes the sightings never go beyond the village, but the creature's still seen there. And it appears to be some huge sort of eel. You know, there are so many theories out there about uh, the Loch Ness Monster. One that seems to be very popular is that the Loch Ness Monster is actually a plesiosaur. There's more chance of it being Elvis in a rubber monster suit. <laughs> I love that. That's Plesiosaur, cute. Plesiosaurs lived in the sea. They were saltwater yeah. animals. They were, they were, as far as we know, cold-blooded. And Loch Ness was frozen solid in the last ice age 10,000 mm-hmm. years ago. And they breathed air. So with all the tourists around Loch Ness looking for this thing, it would have to come up to breathe every so often, but, and then there'd be a population of them, and it would be seen more often. It'd be seen breaching when it comes up to breathe. So it's a non-starter, the plesiosaur, I'm afraid. What has been your most exciting expedition? Oh, two spring to mind. Um, overall, my most exciting has been Mongolia, when we were looking for the Mongolian death worm in the Gobi Desert, mm-hmm. which is the most alien place I've ever been. It's fantastically huge and empty and ghostly, and it has this austerial beauty. It can look like the surface of Mars. It can look like a giant cat litter tray stretching off into eternity. It can look like a huge mirror, depending on where you are. It's fabulous. Uh, <clears throat> we had our camp torn apart by sandstorms and tornadoes. Um, we visited remote oases and ancient lost temples covered up by the sands of the desert. It was an incredible place, and we heard so many stories about the death worm. Uh, We travelled a thousand miles talking to the nomads, and they all described the same animal, this creature that's held in extreme fear. They say it's about two feet long, as thick as your arm, ready brown in colour, and covered in scales. It's like a scaly salami that lies in the desert. And some Some people said they saw it catching mice and eating them or slithering in and out of holes but usually you just see it coiled up in the desert and the fear of it is so great it can get a whole tribe of nomads to pack up their gurs their tents and all their all their goats and their camels mm-hmm. and move to another area that's how intense the fear is of the death worm how, how do we how do we know the death worm really exists Have, has there been any evidence to substantiate its existence or is it just myth and folklore well, no one's captured one yet, but the Gobi Desert's a massive place, and it's mm-hmm. not a big animal. Um, <clears throat> like I say, it's about two feet long. What I think it is is a worm lizard, a burrowing reptile, or a, a, an anthospana. Right. These are to- totally harmless. They're completely harmless, but uh, oftentimes uh, frightening and, and mythological aspects are grafted onto harmless animals. There's a snake in Somalia, for instance, called a sandboa. The local people call it the apris and i think it's so deadly you've only got to touch it and you'll die similar to the salamander in medieval europe they thought it was so lethal that if a horse drank from a stream where a salamander had crawled through it it would keel over and die <coughs> pardon me and um i think the same, it's the same thing with the death worm it's an un, i believe it's an unknown species fantis bainer but one onto which fantastical stories are grafted yeah um so you, once again an, another strange unknown animal that seems to have 
you know, uh, just faded into time is the chupacabra. The chupacabra. I think that's a bit like um, the chupacabra a catch-all term. It's like a bogeyman. And if any livestock attacks happen mm-hmm. that aren't immediately explainable, it's the work of the chupacabra. I now, see. my colleague Jonathan Downs has gone looking for this thing several times. Mm-hmm. And he used to live in Hong Kong when he was a boy. And he saw some unusual evidence when he was in Puerto Rico. He saw some of the animals and how they'd been bitten and killed. Mm-hmm. And he recognised them as the bites of mongooses, yeah. which were introduced in Victorian times uh, onto Puerto Rico. And he has no doubt whatsoever that most of these killings were done by, by mongooses. And at the time of the first chupacabra, the big chupacabra flap in the 90s, mm-hmm. the mongoose population was on the increase. You know, I went to I went to Puerto Rico. Oh, I think it was five or six years ago, and one of the reasons we were there was to do an investigation on the chupacabra. And everyone we talked to about the chupacabra looked at me as if I had three heads. And they said, "You've got to be kidding! That's nothing else but a myth." Like the locals understand it's a myth. It's everybody outside of Puerto Rico that turned it into this living legend. Well, when I've gone to places, mm-hmm. I'll turn that on its head, because when I've gone to places, people look at me oddly when I ask about things, because, not because they think it's a myth, but because they just think it's another animal. Yeah. So, like, when I, when I, uh, I, I, I go and ask about the Orang Pendek in Sumatra, mm-hmm. they, they were, were saying, it's very rare, but it's just another animal. It lived like, like a bear or a rhino. It lives in the forest. When I was in um, <coughs> Russia, in the Caucasus Mountains, looking for the Almasti, uh, I talked to many witnesses, and the one that stuck in my mind was this old lady. who said, well, why are you interested in such a crazy topic? It's, it's just a species of wild man. It, it, they accept it, like they accept bears and wolves. Sure. Um, one of the most exciting encounters I ever had was when we were staking out an old abandoned farmhouse. All right, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you to hold on to this because I've got about 40 seconds before I have to take my break. When we come back, I'd like to hear this story. Richard Freeman is our special guest, Exonation. Uh, he is sharing with us the results of expeditions that he's been on, and you can find out more about Richard by going to www.cfz.org/uk. And Richard is with the Center for Fortean Zoology. A great guy, a wealth of information, and thank you very much for sharing this uh, this hour with us, Richard. We'll be back on the other side of this break. We'll be right back. Don't go away, Exxon Nation. Back in Victorian England, a famous theologian posed a perplexing riddle. Why are the two top personalities in the Bible tagged with the numbers 7 and 11? Academics agree the answer is found in the stunning discovery of a hitherto secret Bible structure explained in a new book called The Genesis Grid. The discovery is so simple that preschool children could illustrate it. Certain claims are hugely controversial and may offend some, but at the Exxon, we've studied this awesome new book and agree with one expert, and I quote, These discoveries appear to be beyond coincidence. So who or what hid this wonderful pattern in the Bible, and what might they do next? 
Find out more, Exxon Nation, and read reviews on www.genesisgrid.co.uk. That's www.genesisgrid.co.uk. Nation, my guest this hour is Richard Freeman. His website is www.cfz.org.uk, and uh, that's the website for the Center for Fortean Zoology. Sorry I had to stop you in mid-track last, uh, hour, last segment, Richard. I didn't want to have you start the story and then me have you to stop you halfway, so please continue. Yeah, we were staking out this old farmhouse in the Caucasus Mountains in search of something called the Almasti, which is uh, similar to the Yeti, but smaller and more man-like. There's a theory that it might be another descendant of Homo erectus, a hominid rather mm-hmm. than an ape. And we were there with Gregory Panchenko, a Ukrainian biologist who'd seen the creature on several occasions. And it had been seen around this old abandoned farmhouse. And we'd set up some camera traps, and it was about... 2.30 in the morning, and we'd gone inside the house to get warm around a, a, a little stove, and there was a veranda running around the house, and there was a big oak door about seven feet tall, which was slightly ajar, and it was a very clear night, so there was moonlight and starlight streaming in. And about 2.30 in the morning, we heard this deep, guttural vocalisation, and I turned to my colleague Adam, and I said, did you hear that? And he said, yes. And about 25 seconds later, something walked along the veranda. And whatever that something was, it was on its hind legs. And whatever that something was, it was tall enough to blot out the moonlight and the starlight to a height of seven feet when it passed. We grabbed our cameras and went racing outside, but whatever it was, it disappeared into the darkness. So I can't say it was an almasty, but it certainly wasn't a bear. No. We don't, to this day, we don't know what it was. So tell me, Richard, what are you going to be doing in the next couple of months uh, well, our next um, big expedition is going to be Sumatra mm-hmm. to return uh, to look for the Orang Pendek. That's going to be in September to hopefully try and catch the thing on film this time. We've got its hair. We had a sighting last time by a team member and a guide. This time we want to nail him and get him on the film. And uh, I'm going to be publicising my new book, which is The Great Yokai Encyclopedia and A to Z of Japanese Monsters. Wow. Uh, Monsters from the folklore of Japan are so fantastically bizarre, you wouldn't believe it. They have zombie whales, mm-hmm. uh, vampire weasels, dragons that impregnate women, Holy cow. Um, a giant flesh-eating sea cucumber that grows from a, a, 
a brown girl's underwear. And uh, this is just, just a few of them off the top of my head. A, a flaming pig, a flaming miniature pig that runs between your legs and steals your genitals. And broadly, all the monsters and ghosts of Japan are known as yokai, and they fall into different categories. Well, we'll have to have but you the, back on in the future to give you a full hour to yeah, talk about that. Yeah, about them is fantastic. Now, that's available from, from the website or from Amazon. It's the Great Yokai Encyclopedia and A to Z of Japanese Monsters. Richard, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's always a great pleasure. Take care of yourself, and thank I do you look forward much. to the thank next you. time that you join us. Take care, my friend. Bye-bye. Exonation, that is Richard Freeman. His website, once again, is www.cfz.org.uk. Well, that's it for this week, Exonation. It's Friday night. I hope each and every one of you have a wonderful weekend. Be safe. If you drink, please don't drive. Help each other out. Take care of each other. And always keep your eyes to the sky and your heart to the light. Good night, everyone. Speak to you Monday. For alcohol, so finish your-